0: Chapter 2 of The Column of Dust by Evelyn Underhill How Something Came from Somewhere This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Josh Middeldorf. Une pratique, même superstitieuse, même insensée, est efficace parce que c'est une réalisation de la volonté. Elle efface les vies. rituel de la haute magique. Any practice, even if it is superstitious, even if it makes no sense, can be effective just because it is an expression of the will. Within the bookshop, a dusty darkness was made noticeable by the existence of one low-lying patch of light. At 10 p.m., business hours were long over, and the place revenged itself upon intrusion by the uncanny air of peopled solitude, the suggestion that all trespassers will be prosecuted, with circumstances of occult terror, which lurks in empty houses, deep forests, and solitary shrines. Commerce was cast out, and seven other devils took her place. A woman stood within the patch of light, and also within a small circle which she had traced with charcoal upon the imperfectly scrubbed floor. She seemed a healthy and a solid woman, body and brain well-balanced, soul asleep, she was studying a stained and coarsely printed duodecimo which lay upon the desk beside her. It was a rare old English translation of the Grand Rimoire, which, having recently been rebacked with new brown Morocco by strenuous and unsympathetic hands, was now kept open with difficulty by a heavy stamp moistener and two bulldog letter-clips. The light was produced by two candles of that brownish-yellow wax which Catholics always burn about the beers of their dead. Since the agents of death and birth are always one, it is hardly strange that these should be the lights assigned by antique tradition to help the incoming of another life. The candles stood upon the floor. With the spot on which the woman was, they marked the point of a triangle which had been carefully drawn within the charcoal ring. Hence they at once proclaimed themselves as instruments of ceremony, not of illumination, belonging rather to the saucerful of incense, the little pan of charcoal that stood on the gas stove, than to the daily apparatus of ledger, order book, and publishers' catalogs which crowded the neighboring desk. A small mirror hung high up between the bookshelves, It was tilted forward, giving an excellent view of the floor. The flames of the candle were reflected in it, two shining points exhibiting with a horrible thoroughness the vast and lonely dusk in which they shone. Thus seen, winking and glittering out of the grayness, they seemed intimately, unpleasantly alive. And Constance Tyrell, in spite of a sound classical education and much inherited and carefully fostered common sense, felt them to be watchful personalities, companions full of eerie suggestion, poisoning her essential solitude by their hint of terrible companionship. She began instinctively to calculate the shortest possible time in which her present business could be accomplished. Then, detecting in this operation the first symptom of oncoming panic, she deliberately looked away from the mirror and again forced her attention to the grimoire and to the grotesque and varied objects which were ranged upon her desk ready for use there was a piece of cardboard on which the pentagram the tetragrammaton and the caduceus had been traced by colored inks according to the recipe of eliphas levi symbols in outline are seldom impressive and I am afraid that this talisman had failed to affect her imagination as it should. She hung it upon her breast with a piece of string, and, noting the effect, wondered whether this were or were not the ancestor of her scapular. There was also a forked hazel twig, its tips covered with little thimbles of steel, the magician's wand. She took it in her hand and, staying always within the circle, reached out for the pan of charcoal and placed it on the ground before her. The childishness of these proceedings would have amused her had it not been for the intense silence, the loneliness of the bookshop, its dim uncertain corners, and the horrible impression of looking out into infinite and cruel darkness, only possible to those who stand in a restricted patch of light which she received when she raised her eyes from the ground. This darkness was made the more hateful by its very incompleteness, by the radiant mirror which swam out from it, it reflecting the two candle flames like the glowing eyes of some vigilant animal eternally imprisoned in its depths. Now and then she heard footsteps in the street, the rattle and the hoot of a motor, the barking of dogs. These noises reminded her that she was shut in, with another world, another century, where she could claim no aid but that afforded by her own curiosity and courage. She took a little incense from her saucer and threw it on the charcoal. The perfumed smoke ascended in a thick white cloud, veiling the disconcerting mirror and the surrounding bookshelves, inappropriately filled with county histories, educational works, and cheap reprints. It placed itself between Constance and these objects of her daily toil, shut her more closely within her undertaking. She was in the midst of it now. This visible sign of transcendental ambitions assured her of that. Its scent in her nostrils assured her, too, of the solemnities of the undertaking. It lapped her into the atmosphere of ceremony, opened vistas of dream. She turned with a new confidence to the grimoire, and began to read aloud the ritual of conjuration. It was her first attempt to force the lock of that door, which has no key. Ego constantia conjuro te perdeum vivum, perdeum virum, perdeum sanctum, et regnignatum. She said it bravely, yet in the very act of reading her, judgment sat aloof. It refused to capitulate before the fragrance, the darkness, the amazing phrases. It reminded her that the thing was silly, whilst her imagination murmured that the words were, at any rate, stupendous. She read them, this long, elaborate spell, in the high-pitched, shaky and shame-stricken voice of one who rehearses some pretentious piece of rhetoric alone and dreads the mortification of being overheard. Also, to speak clearly seemed almost an acknowledgment that there was, after all, something present to which she could speak. It was an act which peopled the dusky corners of the shop with terrible presences. She shivered a little and forgot to attribute her discomfort to self-suggestion or overstimulated nerves. She kept her eye fixed upon the grimoire lest they should meet in the mirror the reflection of some life other than her own. With each fresh phrase of the strange chant, the majestic appeal to the invisible people's intangible powers, the suspicion that this life awaited the opening of her eyes increased. Te exorciso et nunc et sine mora apareas, mihi juxta circulum pulchra et honesta, ANIME ET CORPORIS FORMA. She paused. She wondered whether she really desired this terrific result, conceived its possibility. The smoke had cleared a little, and she could detect the opposite side of the shop and the glint of some unpleasant scarlet bindings, standard English novels and half rowan with decked edge. Everything was very quiet. Her nervousness had passed away. Nothing happened. Constance discovered herself to be disappointed. She believed nothing and was therefore the more ready to believe anything, having all the transcendental curiosity of the true materialist. Her present undertaking was either perilous or absurd. She was not disposed to take either of these risks for nothing. Her fighting instincts were aroused. If success were possible, she would not forego it. Hence, the last clause of the incantation came from her lips with an imperious ring, which was appropriate enough to that superb procession of divine names by which the student of magic really compels himself to exultation whilst he purports to be compelling the spirits of the air. Pernomina maxima dei deorum, dominus dominatium, Adonai tetragrammiton, Jehovah, O Theos. Athanatos. Iskiros hagios pentagramaton shadei. O teos athanatos. Tectogrammatan adonai. Iskiros athanatos shadei. Cados eloi hagios. O teos athanatos. Adonai. 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 The final phrases echoed through the empty shop in a wild and appealing cry which she hardly recognized as her own, thus recited fresh from the book by one who knew nothing of its cipher, the necessity of discovering the truly secret words beneath their concealing signs. It would have sounded absurd enough in the ears of a professional occultist, but on this woman's lips it was at once a prayer and a command she perceived for the first time why it was that these eccentric substantives were known as words of power their curious rhythms rose as it were to waves inexorable waves of sound which battered the cliff of uncreated things as she ceased she realized that she was intensely fatigued the overpowering fatigue of a person who has worked beyond her strength and feels every limb to be invaded by the languors of her brain. It seemed to her, too, that the shop had become very cold. Evidently a gusty wind had arisen outside, and found its way under the ill-fitting door, for the two candle flames flickered suddenly, as if blown sharply toward her, then righted themselves and burned steadily again. Nothing happened. At the end of the evocation, said the grimoire, if the spirit which is conjured by the magus still fails to appear the operator will place the steel tips of his wand upon the burning brazier and make the last and most violent assault upon the unseen world the mighty and primitive spell called the clavicle of solomon and be ye not afraid adds the rubric though ye shall hear the loud cries and groans of the spirits who are now being forced to appear within the circle of the earth. Constance had read these directions and this warning with some amusement during her furtive studies of the occult. Upon a sunny afternoon in early spring, in the interval of serving a lady addicted to the literature of the higher health and a curate who wished to read Pierre-Louis for reasons unconnected with French prose, she had found its careful encouragements quaint and delightful. Now, oddly enough, she turned at once, though with a certain tremulousness, to look for the page upon which the strange syllables of the clavicle were drawn within their encompassing sign. She did it naturally and inevitably, as if it were now impossible to abandon this adventure whilst any path remained untried. But as she searched by the feeble light of her candles, the tightly bound leaves of the little book escaped from fingers which were no longer very steady in their grasp it shut itself with a snap, and she caught sight between two fly-leaves of a tiny slip of paper so thin that a breath was needed to disengage it from the page on which it lay. There were on it a few lines of faded writing and many curious signs. In her rather hasty collation of the grimoire, she had not seen this paper. Now, because she was eager and somewhat disheartened by her non-success, wide-eyed toward all chances of adventure she took it from its place held it to the light and deciphered with difficulty the opening words lo my beloved son and very dear disciple i bequeath to thee this grimoire the companion of my labours wherein are faithfully set forth the true rituals of magic together with all things needful for the prosecution of that most divine experiment on which thou art set to wit the word, the sign, and the way. Guard well that secret knowledge, remembering the four oaths of thy initiation. To dare, to will, to learn, and to conceal. But as to this book, have no fear, lest the profane and those unlearned in philosophy discover aught therein, since, even as the ark within the temple, all truth here dwells behind a veil which veil the priests of the hidden wisdom alone may pass. Here followed the three lines of cabalistic figures, which Constance could not read. At the side there was a gloss in tiny writing, Nota, take heed that thou dost not forget to sing rightly, and according to the manner of the adepts, these most powerful and all-holy names of God, and the great key of Solomon, our master, for it is very certain that upon the due observance of this matter the whole virtue of thine evocation doth depend. She replaced the paper in the grimoire, feeling herself to be little enlightened, for she had no knowledge of that right singing of the adepts which it held essential to the work. However, she turned to the clavicle and laid the metal tips of her wand upon the brazier carefully and efficiently, as if she were busied over some intricate operation of cookery, as accurate in her ritual actions as any priest before the altar of his god. She glanced at the mirror and saw reflected in it her own face. The candles lit it from below, casting peculiar shadows upon the eye sockets and chin. It seemed a stranger's face, white, peering, curious, and amazed. The contours which gave it its workaday expression of responsibility and common sense had disappeared. She began to read, and now to her amazement a third and almost horrible change came over her voice it was no longer the shamefaced muttering thing of a person who suspects her own absurdity had no more the sharp pitch of overstrung but undefeated nerves constance now was impelled to chant in a loud tone and with a grave intense and crescent determination the strange old hebrew spell the words drew from her she knew not for what reason a long and rhythmic cry, a wailing music, with curious ululative prolongations of the vowel sounds. It came from some obscure corner of her spirit, which thus found for the first time a language suited to its needs. She had ceased to be self-conscious, and was far away from the bookshop, her whole will pressing against the barriers of an experience which, as she had gradually and automatically come to believe was close to her hand and as the walls of jericho fell before the persistent trumpets so under the assault of her cry this barrier seemed to tremble therefore appear lest i continue to torment thee with the words of power of that great solomon thy master the stream of strange and twisted syllables the unearthly, wailing song, the rhythms which made no appeal to the ear of sense, rose and lifted her with them, then gathered the whole strength of her spirit for the supreme statement of exalted and illuminated will. Messias, Soter, Emmanuel, Sabaot, Adonai, Teodoro et Involco. Her eyes were upon the mirror as she ended, and still it reflected her own strained face, but no other. There was no other hand laid on her shoulder, no veiled form. But there was, surely, something in the mirror which she had not seen before. She saw a tiny disturbance on the ground, close beyond the edge of the charcoal ring, as if the draft that blew beneath the door had disturbed a little pile of dust. It rose in the air a little way, and hung there like a cloud. The thing was natural enough, for there is always plenty of dust in a bookshop. Nevertheless, a small movement in the dusk had jogged Constance's weary nerves. She watched it, fascinated, longing all the while to look away, and as she watched, a fresh wave of overmastering fatigue came over her. And with it, of course, a sudden gust of fear, she knew that in the impossible event of a spiritual manifestation she had but to conquer her will to lay her hand upon the pentagram and command the presence to obey not to intimidate its conjurer but it takes great confidence in the unseen to attribute to supernatural causes a phenomenon which may well have been produced by a drafty door. she stared and struggled with a rising pulse and feelings of great discomfort in her throat meanwhile the little column of dust rose with a curious spiral motion as if it were impelled from within it hung in the air a grey faint cobwebby thing and then she heard the crying of a sad and frightened voice which said ah what has happened i am caught i cannot get away and again, an inarticulate cry that came in a rising cadence of anguish and dread, she exclaimed, My God, what is it? What, what have I done? The sound of her own voice, harsh and uncertain, convinced her that the other voice had not been heard by the outward ear. She turned from the mirror and looked with horror at the floor. The column of dust had disappeared. The candles burned clearly in the dusk. Then she remembered that she was quite alone, that there was nothing more to do, nothing that she could do. It was late, and she longed to be away. She went to the back of the shop and switched on the electric light. It seemed an almost impious proceeding after all that had passed. But the nice commonplace click and the immediate radiance comforted her. She extinguished her ceremonial candles, packed away wand, pentagram, and incense in her little leather bag, and carefully rubbed the circle from the floor the physical exercise restored her to a sense of her own largeness healthiness solidity she forgot the imaginary voice and remembered the real world she left the bookshop locking the door behind her she held the keys for mr lambton was of a slothful disposition and left his manager as many responsibilities as he could she was glad to be out in the air again and looked forward to a brisk walk through lighted streets. At this moment, the mud and motor omnibuses, the drizzling rain that fell, were familiar and delightful things, freckles on the beloved face of life. There was a dead kitten in the gutter, a little bag of fur. She stepped back when she saw it and crossed the road lower down. She was not a squeamish woman, but this was hardly the moment for dead things. It was evidently true, as Eliphas Levi had said, and modern occultists agreed, that magical operations did have some curious effects upon the mind. She could not recover her normal poise. Things wore an unusual air, and she was an alien amongst them. She decided that she would go to bed early. She was not in the mood for sitting alone that night. She had yet to realize that she would never be alone any more. End of chapter 2.